all of us are on a journey, all of us. Every one of us have things in our childhood that we struggle with. My mother told me my childhood was the best days of my life. Only I believe that my childhood is something I spend the rest of my adulthood trying to fix. And that's why Jesus said the Spirit laws upon him to heal the broken heart or traumatized because so much happens in our childhood. We have nothing to refer. We have no reference points. We have nothing to, to process it with. We're totally young and undeveloped. Now, if something happens and people are mean, rude, unkind to you, you can process it. You have all the material to work with. But when you're 12, 13, 14, you have nothing. So when kids make fun of you, it's very devastating to a child. What seems now to be simple and unimportant is extremely devastating to a young child and impressionable. And so those things affect a young person growing up. And here is David out in the field with his sheep and no, much, no friends, no social life, very dull kind of life, as it were. And he's been sent for. He's been sent for. One of the brothers come and get him. Dad's calling for you. Not a normal thing to happen in the middle of the day. He's on his way, and he arrives there. He must have heard about Samuel, the famous prophet. By this time, Samuel was already old, and he was the famous prophet. There were many prophets, but he was the top senior or the major prophet of the day. And he'd come there with a big alabaster jar of oil, and the dad had made a sacrifice, and all these seven brothers stood there. I can imagine as he gets closer, seeing this little gathering that he was not included in, I'm sure by this time, he was accustomed to it. If you go home to a party and you're not part of it, it's not the most pleasant thought you have or feeling. And he arrives there, and before he gets a chance to think or talk, this Samuel's putting oil in his head and you he's the one, and prophesies and lays hands on him, calling him the king. It's quite a bewilderment. This boy had a destiny, a greatness waiting for him, but he had no clue. So many of us have no clue the things that wait for us in our lives, and we have no way of changing things or know what's around the corner. But great destiny would bring him to great tribulation and, and attack and opposition and adversity. All these things were waiting for him to happen, as well as the greatness that was inside of him. Now, God had told Samuel, by this time, Samuel was an older man, and when he arrived at the scene, he saw Eliab, the oldest boy, who was very tall, and because he looked so much like Saul, he thought he was an ideal replacement. And God said to this man who should have known by that time spiritual language, you look on the outside, I look on the inside. I found a man after my own heart. It's quite a statement, quite a testament to be someone of God's own heart. I wonder how many in this room would be called that by God, a man after my own heart. God is attracted to people for various reasons. There are eight things that I teach that scripturally that God's attracted to. God's attracted by certain things. We can displease the Lord and offend the Lord, but there are things that attract him to us regardless of our struggles and weaknesses. The poor example that the Bible says he lifts up the humble and resists the proud. So he's not attracted to proud people. No matter how good and how generous and how wonderful and how talented they are, but he's attracted to humble people regardless of their struggles and failures. And he actually picks up the humble just because they're humble, not because of any other deserving factor. Well, he's, there's several things that draw God to people, and 
God was drawn to David. He hadn't accomplished one lick yet. He hasn't done, did one thing. He was out in the field praising God. He was a young teenage boy of 15 years old. And now he gets anointed, oil dripping on him. And you're wondering, you stand there wondering, okay, what happens now? And dad says, David, go back to the sheep. So there walks this little boy anointed by the almighty God of Israel. The mighty God that created the universes has anointed him as king. And he goes right back to ten sheep. You may be anointed by God for a task, and yet nothing changes. You're still the same as you were before, but something's happened on the inside and in the heavenlies. Nobody else celebrates it. You'd think his brothers would be really excited about it. You hope that your family would recognize you're a Christian now, or that you love the Lord, or that you're changing. But they don't really appreciate or honor you because they expect you to go through phases and be the same person you were before. And David went back to the sheep and went on a, with a seemingly mundane life. He started attending Saul with his music because he became well-known for the music. He didn't have a whole lot to do but slingshot, music, sheep. He wasn't very active otherwise. He wasn't a great active life that he had many chores and played football or baseball or anything else. He was just there playing and he went every afternoon to go play for Saul. Saul didn't even notice him. It wasn't David's talent that brought peace to him that couldn't sleep or rest, that he was always restless. It was the anointing inside of David that brought the peace. You know, you get what a person's not only giving to you, get what they have. Whatever, whether it's good or bad, if they're giving you things, they'll often carry over what's inside of them. They'll leave it behind. That's why it's important to maintain a right heart, a right spirit, good attitude, and not have your conscience accuse you that you always have a right attitude with these people. You transfer these things. Now, David was playing for Saul, but Saul didn't celebrate his anointing. It's so often in our families, people get blessed by the fact that we saved and carry an anointing, but they don't even recognize it or celebrate it or honor it in any way. They don't even know. Just as much as the church is not always celebrated by the world, we tolerate it and barely accept it. But there's no great honor for the church or God's kingdom. Just like David. The anointing is waiting for a Goliath to be noticed. The, world, the church is waiting for a COVID-19. Waiting for a calamity that the church so quickly reacts to themselves rather than using that to let the anointing show itself. Now, David had nothing to refer to. He didn't watch CNN and learn about this terrible Goliath before he went to the camp. He was sent there to bring supplies. He was just a messenger, anointed king of Israel, just doing mundane chores. But when he arrived there, that anointing immediately wanted to go to work, realizing that something's wrong, had a bigger concern at heart. And, of course, you know that the whole situation, how it unfolded, he, he drops off the supplies and he asks, he hears that there is things offered to someone who will go and fight Goliath, and nobody wants this entire army of God is too afraid to go. So often people are afraid, and the anointing inside is, he's got no fear. There cannot be fear and faith and anointing in the same house. They don't live together in the same place. 
And so he's asking to make sure. So the exemption from taxes, his daughter in marriage, and great wealth. Hmm, I like the exemption in taxes. really appeals to me according to what I've heard. So I think, and, then, and his oldest brother, Eliab, hears about it. And he, and he jeers at him. Eliab was tall, and I, I can imagine how he must have felt. They come to this wedding now for Samuel's come anoint him at this wonderful sacrifice. I can imagine Eliab and Abinadab, the two older brothers, debating who's going to get it. Oh, you know you won't make it king. You're such a loser. You're the loser. The, two, three, the three of them, the eldest three, were fighting in Goliath's, I mean, in, in the Saul's army. And so they must have been debating who'd be the greatest. And you can imagine the atmosphere when Eliab passes by because he's the firstborn to open the womb. So he's thinking, it's got to be me. And he's walking by, got the whole attitude. And Samuel says, nope, not him. Let me walk by you again. No. And then the Pinadab, yeah, I knew, I, I knew me. And so he's walking by and he says, no, not you either. And one after another goes by. And you can imagine the tension rising, like, what in the world? And when all of them go by, you can see Samuel's frustration. Jesse, is this, are these all your sons? <laughs> no, I have one more. Really? Yeah, but he's taking care of the sheep. He's so, he's nobody. We're not going to sit down till he comes because none of these are the ones God selected. So the tension already has been rising, strained atmosphere already taking place. And now he's at the battlefield, and Eliab says, who have you left those two sheep with? You're nobody. We know how conceited you are. He was confident, and they interpreted his conceitedness. And he says, what have I done? I've done nothing to you. It's funny how who, this professional, tall, fighting man, he's professional, been fighting and been training with all the soldiers, but he has no anointing there. The professionally unanointed presents the, the, profession, the unprofessional anointed. This is because David had never learned to fight. And so he, he's summoned by the king, and now he gets to the king's tent, and you will see walking in, and you'd think, you'd think that Saul would recognize the boy. He comes every afternoon to play music for him. As of so long already, you'd say, I know you. Who are you? Are you, are you, are you, are you? No, he says, you can fight. It's amazing how a professional like Saul, who's ex-anointed, will tell you why you can't succeed. There'll always be those that have done the run a race and didn't make it, will tell you why you won't. This man, Goliath, he's professional. Been fighting since a youth. And he'll whip you. You have no problem. So you have professionally unanointed Eliab, the professionally ex-anointed Saul, professionally anti-anointed Goliath, and all you have is the unprofessional anointed David. So David says, no, no, I, I, will, I will fight him because I, I can. What do you do, boy? What do, what, do, what do I do? Yeah, what do you do? I tend my sheep. What? 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 I tend my father's sheep. Well, that just, that just explains it all. No, no, you understand. When the bear and the lion came, I killed them. So many people want to take on Goliath, but they haven't taken care of the bear and lion at home. If you haven't taken care of your 
struggles long before COVID came, COVID will hit you emotionally and put fear inside of you. If you haven't had battles before that no one could see or see the victory in your life, you'll have a hard time bringing down Goliath. And of course, the ex-anointed Saul tries to put all his big and tall clothes on this 15-year-old boy. Don't fit. Of course not. And he says, I'm not used to these politely. And he gets five stones because Goliath had four brothers and he was determined to get them all. They stood out amongst all the crowd. And that was the way he thought. He didn't understand the danger. And so what we, ha- we have to be told of the danger. And the news has to report, this one is dying. And these people are sick. And these are the numbers. And try to show you pictures to create the danger and fear in you. David didn't have anything to relate to. All he knew was uncircumcised, circumcised, godly, ungodly. Didn't understand anything else. What they, they knew, they thought they were full of fear, but not David. He knew. He said, when I kill the bear and lion, he'll be just like one of them. God will give him into my hands. How confident can you be? A little 15-year-old boy, he walks up to Goliath, and of course he kills him. And so the thing that stirred my heart was a scripture I'm about to read for you in Second Samuel, if you'll read with me, if you want to read with me, it's in First uh, Samuel, sorry, 17, 55. As David watched, as Saul watched David, Saul watched David. It's pretty humiliating to watch a boy go out there to go fight your battle. Going out to the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Really, you, you just don't know? Now you're interested in him? As surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. Nobody knows who this boy is. King said, find out whose son this man is. As soon as David returned from, from the, killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before the soul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Why didn't you ask him when he was in the tent when he came the first time? I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. It's amazing how they will not recognize the anointing in your life or the church's effect without a calamity. It's only in the calamity that the light will shine, only in darkness, only in difficulty. You don't want the difficulty or the challenges, but they, the world watch you. They watch how you're going to deal with stuff. David's journey wasn't an easy one. He was human, just like you and I. He had all kinds of struggles. He wasn't the most moral man you could find. He had a 300 wives and concubines, and still he knowingly had a relationship with a married woman, which he knew was wrong. Loving God as much as he did, he was human and failed. And then he orchestrates the death of her husband, and still God calls him a man after my own heart. Because we think that a person that's after God's own heart is morally sound and without sin and blameless. And yet, even David's, even his self-opinion, his own image of himself was really messed up. And I want to stop there and talk about that for a moment. So many of us have struggled with the way we see ourselves. How mom and dad, how kids at school, how teacher. And we've begun to believe things because we feel safe. We don't want to believe too many nice compliments or things about ourselves. And people that have a low self-esteem will go the opposite and act all arrogant or over, overcompensate for it. But David didn't have a good opinion of himself either. As much as he was successful, 20 years in escaping Saul when Saul was persecuting him, even when he became king, he still didn't see himself 
as that. In 2 Samuel 2 verse 4, it says, Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. One of David's claim to fame was uniting all the different tribes and became one nation. And the, so the leaders of Judah come specifically to anoint him. But I thought Samuel anointed him. Yes, he did too. But now Judah's also anointing him. And of course, the same thing happened with the, with the elders of Israel. They came and they also anointed him. And you'd think that would really have an effect on him. He's been anointed now three times as king. You'd think he'd feel like a king. And he still didn't see it. So what happens to him in 2 Samuel 5, it says, Hiram, king of Tyre, which is a country next door, sent to messengers to David and cedar trees, carpenters, and the masons, all those people like that, that he sent. And they built David a house. And, the, and this uh, Amplified says, and David perceived then that there the Lord had established him king over Israel. He never saw himself as a king until somebody else came to build him a palace. All the time he was thinking he was a shepherd boy fighting a battle. He didn't remember that when he was anointed to be king of Israel, he was king then. It was such a long journey to step into that. It took something else to trigger that in him. When he looked at this palace, he said to himself, I must not be a shepherd. I mean, what shepherd has a palace? And finally, he accepted he was king. And so many things in your life, you've had so many prophecies and so many good teachings of the word, but you still don't see yourself as the one that God sees. You don't see yourself as a, as a success, as a prosperity, as, as a person that's victorious. You still see yourself as the loser that dad said you were. As a teacher said, you're never going to amount too much. You won't graduate. All the things they said to you, you still see yourself as that person trying to come out of that. When in fact, you are what God says you are. And if you don't know what God said about you and start living and hearing and walking and talking that, you're always going to keep thinking you're that shepherd. You're that shepherd, that blessed shepherd, and you're still going to always have that resistance up to what your brother said about you, never stepping into the kingship because that's what God said. You know, I teach people that I, I coach on a regular basis throughout the week in the mornings, all different people over the world, and I always teach them, one of the principles I teach them is you don't rise and fall on the opinion of people. I've been in the ministry a long time, more than 40 years of my life, and I've learned this, that people are fickle and shallow. They change their opinion in one day. I mean, there is so Paul uh, with a snake hanging off his hand, and these people that don't even know him are really judging him as a wicked man because a snake got him. And the snake didn't kill him. He went from being a, a wicked man to a, to a god in one day. So people change like that. You, they change. And I've learned this, that you, you don't rise and fall in the opinion. No matter if everyone's against you, if God opens that door, nobody can stop what God's going to do in your life. It doesn't matter what people think. It's got no relevance. They may be all against you and have all kinds of opinions. And yet those things dictate to you how you feel and how you see yourself, the words of man. So I'm here to appeal to my family of God here and those watching live, please make a decision today by the grace of God and ask the Lord to help you by the Spirit 
to shake off the opinions of your family, your, your childhood, and people around you, and find out what God says. When they accuse you, go and ask the Lord, and take responsibility for what the Lord tells you, and make changes, but see yourself as God sees you, and who you are. Let me tell you, you are so precious to God. It's offensive to me when Simon uh, had this woman come to wash Jesus' feet and wipe it with a tear. He said, if he knew what he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman she is. And people talk that way all the time around me. They talk about, oh, you know what kind of person he is? And you should know. They always use that phrase. They group people in kinds. That's why I don't like these tests of, of phlegmatic and, and these different tests of personality because every one of us, our fingerprints, millions of people, and yet every fingerprint's different. If God can make your fingerprint different, be sure you're born with a different personality. You may have similarities, but you are different. No two people on this planet are the same. You develop your character, but you're born with a personality. It's just you, nobody else. You are uniquely made. You're not an angel. Angels are like robots. They're made for service. They weren't worth saving. They're worth nothing to God. Not one angel was worth dying for. But you were to die for. You were to sacrifice and give his only son for. You were that valuable that he constantly, constantly redeems you and picks you up. And ten times you fail and ten times he picks you up. The angels failed once and they're destined for hell. That's what the scripture says. You are vitally important to God no matter how messed you up you are. And don't you dare have a judgment for someone else because they've messed up and been to prison, done stupid things. I tell you the truth, they didn't get born that way. Life messed them up and the devil did all he can. And you have no business as God's salt of the earth and light of the world having any judgment about any single person. Regardless of their color, their shape, their age, where they're from, you have no business as a child of God having an opinion or putting them in a kind or a box. How dare we judge someone because of the hell they've been through? You have no business judging anybody because you don't know their story. You don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through and how they've been. And as God's agents, God's salt to the earth, you know what Jesus said? Come to me. He didn't say, first fix your life, you're messed up. Come to me. We've got to have them come to me. I will give you rest. Come. Everybody that's messed up, I'm going to take you in. We don't reject anybody because we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Islam will not help you. Buddhism will not help you. Hare Krishna will not help you. Only, only the Lord Jesus will help people. He helped us. He'll help them. And nobody's beyond the point of help while they're still breathing. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And you have a right and a message to bring to them. So we don't categorize them. And David had to, took a lot to change his mind about himself. He was a very interesting man in so many ways, David. If you're wondering what made David a man after God's own heart, for those who may have not heard me teach this before, it's in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It's in writing for you to see. There's no dispute. It says there, after removing Saul as king, God gave them David, testifying, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart because he will do everything I ask him. The one single thing that made him so unique was he was quick to respond and do what God said. Now, you may think, as I did and have done, that I do everything God says, but I've been challenged time and time and time again 
we're so willing to do something until God asks us something crazy. Lord, I will do everything, but just not that. Abraham, I want you to sacrifice the son that you worked so long and waited so long for. Send your Ishmael away. This boy that seems to be the perfect boy, I want you to kill him. I don't want you to let me kill him. I want you to kill him. And it wasn't that God wanted him to die. It was God wanted to see what's inside of Abraham. Are you hearing me? And there are Isaacs in your life that God will ask for. The bottom, the lowest of that food chain of obedience is money. If you can't obey him with ungodly mammon, you won't obey him with spiritual riches. And if you get offended that the pastor is talking untidy and giving, it's because you're not a giver. Because I always tell the pastors, teach on it because you won't, the ones that are offended are not giving anyway. And the ones that are giving will only get more faith to receive. Do you understand? I'm Jewish. I have a logic that we Jews have. I was born with nothing. I was naked. And I'm going to die the same way. Everything I have here that seems to have any kind of value is going to stay right here. All for me to use, I'm just passing through. I'm not letting that stuff that I'm using on the way through determine whether I'm happy, successful. That's not where my life lies. My life lies in the Lord and the way I treat people. That's what God looks at. It's so important to the Lord. Do you understand? He said the second is as great as the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's how important it is. Do you understand? We are Christians. If we don't uphold this message and let the salt go out and the light come out of us, who will? Who will be a real Christian? God's looking for someone that will represent him correctly. And every day of our life, we have opportunity. And this COVID was a perfect opportunity to let your light shine. Not for you to react and panic and get into all kinds of fear. Because what can the devil do to you? What's the worst that can happen? You're going to die. The scripture says for me to die is gain. The devil can't threaten me with death. And you have God's guarantee of protection anyway. But you've got to not be foolish. You can test or tempt the Lord, but you can be wise, but not panicky or reactionary. You've got to set a tone and an example for the world to see we're not in rebellion. We love, we love the Lord and we submit to authority, but we're not in panic. We don't live in fear. We live in trust of God because our times and seasons are in the hands of God. Is that true? They're looking to see and find hope in us. If we don't have the message, who will then? Who will give the world hope if we don't have the hope? And the confidence of the Lord is our helper. We must live that before we can preach it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? David was not only a man after God's own heart because he obeyed the Lord. He also had a heart to build God a house. The most incredible thing in 2 Samuel 7, 19. It's the most incredible thing to me. He's looked, standing in his palace looking out and seeing Solomon's tent or Sol- I mean, Sol- the whole um, uh, tabernacle. And he's seeing all these tents, and he says, here am I living in a beautiful palace in God's houses in Tattoo. That's not right. And so he tells Nathan, who's the follow-up of Samuel, the prophet, he says, this is not, not how it should be. And he says, Nathan says, whatever's in your heart, do it, because he sees God's hands on him. He doesn't just get thoughts for no reason. So he, he goes away, Nathan does, and he comes back the next morning. I, God spoke to me last night. I must tell you, it's you not to build God out. What? In fact, God says, in all this time, I've never dwelt in a house. I've never asked anybody to build me a house. I don't live in these, these, these kind of houses. But he says, but this is what God says. 
you won't build me a house, but your son, whose hands are clean, will build the house. See, you may have to go to God's own heart, but your hands are full of blood. But, but, hear this. He says, because you wanted to build me a house, because you want to do that, I'm going to build you a house. What do you, what do you mean? I've got a palace. No, none of your generations till eternity will ever leave the throne. But this is what God said to David. Because you wanted to build me a house, I will never let your throne ever change. Now, Saul lost it immediately because he disobeyed God. And that it says in the Scriptures, generations after David, it says, and the king did evil in the sight of God, and God would not remove him because of his promise to David. It's the most remarkable thing that David, nobody asked him. He was so in love with God that he wanted to build God a house, do something for the kingdom, that God responded and saw his kind, generous heart, that he blessed his generations to come. And so I'm here to appeal to you in your own heart and mind to have a heart like David, to obey the Lord, to do whatever he tells you. Start practicing obeying God in the small things. You, you'll not obey God in big things if you can't obey him in the small things. You can't overcome Goliath if you can't overcome the bear and lion's home. And when you see a Goliath, don't panic. God didn't get God by surprise. Goliath wasn't any more of a threat than the lion and the bear. It's just intimidating. I know the, the mindset of the anointing is, when he looks at this huge man, he's saying, man, I'm glad you're so big. Ain't no way I could miss you. <laughs> I'm take the slingshot, and I'm going to hit you. Close my eyes, I'm going to hit you. You're that big. But without, without the anointing and the fear is like, you're so big, you're so big. You're like little grasshoppers in us, in your, all your sight. Twelve, Twelve spies saw the same thing. Two had a different spirit. You have a different spirit. Do you still have challenges? Oh, yeah, you have. And that's where God wants to show, show his strength through your challenges. So I'm here to appeal to you. Quit your whining. You call it prayer, but it's whining. I don't know. Every day it's getting really boring. Get a little victory. Get a little bit of confidence, a bit of, bit of go in you. Believe in God because he hasn't changed. You're not sitting here because you've got nowhere else to go. God picked you. Why? I don't know. I don't know why he picked me. I would, I would never pick me. But he did. And I'm grateful. He picked you. 